Happy New Year, folks. Welcome to Quarantinema, a.k.a. Quarantinema, a.k.a. Quarantinema, the only podcast where we don't know how to say the name of the show. My name is Connor Sullivan. Thank you very much for joining us on this lovely first episode of 2022. Okay, so technically it's year three. We started this in 2020, but hey, that's pretty cool. I <laughs> uh, hope everyone had a safe and healthy and happy Holidays, New Year's, Christmas, Kwanzaa. Was Hanukkah going on? I don't, I, I don't recall if Hanukkah was going on when we were on break or not. But anywho, we were off last week. Now we're back, and I watched a lot of shit uh, in the last couple of weeks. We got a lot of stuff to talk about today. Uh, but we're gonna be. It's a little different episode. We're gonna be going through uh, my top ten movies of 2021, at least the movies that I saw. Um. And, you know, maybe then we'll get into uh, some awards. A couple of awards I got. I want to hand out uh, for uh, for 2021. Uh, and we also may get to rapid fire reviews. Uh, like I said, I've been watching a lot of shit lately. So, uh, but yeah. And, but hey, in the meantime, if you want to see what we've been watching on, uh, you know, some more instant live feedback i guess on what the stuff we are watching uh we i actually started using the twitter account uh for the first time in well over a year at this point maybe even almost two years but uh but no no i've just been kind of putting knee-jerk reactions out to uh what i've been watching throwing it out on twitter uh so you can go follow us at quarantine pod uh there and I, it's funny because i i mention it that like you should go follow us on there every single episode and i've never used the channel like I've let there were only a handful of tweets uh, before the last couple of days here. So, uh, but no, we're trying something a little new. So we're doing that. Uh, you can find us at again at Quarantinema Pod. Uh, we're also on Facebook and Instagram as well. So let's get into it. My top ten movies of 2021. So for context, uh, and I think I mentioned this before, I keep a running list. Uh, of all the movies that I see over the course of a given year. So whether that's... So like the very first movie uh, like I, I'll, I saw this year, the first new movie, I, I should say. Uh, I'll, you know, whatever it was. Let's call it and No Time to Die, for example, like that. So No Time to Die starts off as number one. Then I see the second movie. It's like, okay, was it better or worse than No Time to Die? And then... You know, if it's worse, I put it. I put it second. But then I see a third movie, and it was better than No Time to Die, so I put it first, and so on and so forth. So, uh, in total, I ended up seeing forty-three uh, new movies this year. So they they were released this year, and I know like there's some movies that like maybe they came out last year, and you know there's the whole. Uh, like it, it got the limited release and then you know the big release and like earlier in the year, so I didn't really count those. Uh, but if it debuted in 2021 and I've seen it, then that's what we're going off of. I haven't seen everything yet. Um, a lot of stuff in limited release right now. It's coming to streaming soon, so we'll see about that. Uh, but again, this this is just the movies that I've seen of the 43 new movies that I saw this year. And I'll start off by saying that the worst movie I had on my list this year was Tom Clancy's Without Remorse, <laughs> uh, the Michael B. Jordan uh, movie on Amazon Prime. I do not recommend it at all. It is pure doo-doo butter. And that is that. So let's get started. Uh, okay, so 
Number 10 uh, on my list, I had Tick, Tick, Boom, uh, the musical starring Andrew Garfield from director Lin-Manuel Miranda. Watched it fairly recently. Uh, And overall... This is a good this is a good musical, I think, and it's resonated a lot more with me like once I, like now that I've had time to like actually think about it, like I actually think I really enjoyed the uh the movie a lot more than I did. It kind of just kicked off this like uh I had to go down this rabbit hole of Jonathan Larson and Story of Rent and just like all that stuff. Uh so it definitely resonated with me a lot more than most movies uh this year and Andrew Garfield is phenomenal in it. Uh just a incredible performance from him and especially someone who's uh, never sang before uh, this was his first crack at uh, doing musicals uh, but Andrew Garfield's a, an extremely talented actor like a wildly talented actor who doesn't do a whole lot I guess that's not the right way to say it but like he picks his roles a little carefully for someone you know maybe he, who's in his age and position uh, like yeah you know he played Spider-Man for a little bit uh, but uh but yeah, over the last 10 years, he's low-key had a really solid career. Not a quantitative career, uh, but the stuff he's chosen to be in, he's done really, really well on it. So, uh, I mean, the the music, the music, movie is flawed. Uh, that's for sure. You know, not... Uh, you know, I don't... The soundtrack is pretty good. Uh, there are some real uh, duds in there. Uh, pacing's a problem throughout, uh, I think. But... Uh, and... But but I mean, as far as just like like he his performance really carries the movie, uh, and the music, which I didn't enjoy as much uh, when I watched it. But now that uh, so I watched it with Brenna, and she's been blasting it nonstop since. <laughs> so uh, you know, some of the songs you start to realize like okay, like this actually was you know pretty good. But then like listening to a song without the visuals to go along with it for the movie, it's you know it takes away from it a little bit. So. Uh, yeah, so I had Tick, Tick, Boom at number 10. I think it's you know, going to be a contender for a lot of different things uh, this year as we come on the uh, the award circuit here, but I don't think it's really going to win uh, much. Maybe if there's like a comedy or musical category, then that's where it could separate itself. But like, I don't think this is going to be a, a big contender at the Oscars. Maybe a player, you know, it'll get nominated for five or six things maybe. But uh, overall, I think... Uh, you know, a good, not great uh, film. Overall, I, I feel like this year is filled with a lot of those, like these kind of like good, not great movies. Like I really was blown away twice uh, this year. I think I've said that on the show before, but uh, we'll get, you know, I'll get to those movies uh, later on in the countdown. But, uh, but yeah, I re- like, as far as like, just like truly like amazing, like, wow, that was a great, great movie. There, It only happened a couple of times. Uh, this year, and I, I'd only throw out the amazing label twice. I, I, I didn't give a lot of five uh, five hazmat uh, reviews this year, was, uh, which is you know it's a bummer, but it is what it is. Okay, moving on. Uh, one that I actually haven't talked about here before, uh, and so maybe I don't have to get into it in rapid fire reviews. But uh, number nine, I have Don't Look Up, uh, the new Adam McKay movie on Netflix with a stellar ensemble cast: uh, Jennifer Lawrence, Leonardo DiCaprio, Meryl Streep, Jonah Hill. Timothy Chalamet, uh, Mark Rylance, who steals the show in that movie. He is fucking hysterical <laughs> in the, in this movie. Uh, I loved it. I thought it was one of the year's uh, funniest movies. I think, yeah, it's the highest rated, like, pure comedy uh, on 
on my list here, and it it really was a weak year for comedy, unfortunately, which which is a bummer. But here we are, nonetheless. Uh, and like with Don't Look Up, they nailed the satire. Adam Adam McKay and his team just did a phenomenal job, uh, just kind of laying out what would happen if like a meteor was coming to Earth, and you know how would the media react, how would politicians react, how would the public react. Uh, like, what are the things that, like, <laughs> like what are the things we would do? Uh, like, wh- wh- what would we do to stop a meteor coming? Like, oh, we're going to throw a, you know, a benefit concert, and Ariana Grande is going to be there. <laughs> it's uh, just, like, little shit like that. And there's so many just good, uh, like, ongoing jokes throughout the movie. And it, it was funny, because, like, it's not people you see traditionally in comedies. Leonardo DiCaprio, like, we started to see over the last decade or so. Maybe not, like... I wouldn't say silly, but like Wolf of Wall Street, I think is a comedy. I, I consider it a comedy. Uh, you know, Django, while his role isn't particularly funny, it's more of a charismatic role for him. Uh, the Revenant is obviously not a comedy uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I think that was a funny role for him. So like Leo, like in the last like ten years or so, Leo's been pretty funny, uh, which uh, which has been cool to see. But then like seeing people like Jonah Hill. I mean, of all the people in, in the movie, Jonah Hill's probably, like, the most familiar in the genre. Uh, it's just, like, you know, being a comedic actor, and we get to see a lot of, uh, I guess what I would consider, like, early early Jonah Hill humor uh, in this, like, kind of things we saw in Superbad and Knocked Up and uh, just, uh, so many of those other great Jonah Hill movies uh, from, you know, 10-ish years ago. Uh, we see a lot of that in this movie, which is... I mean, he's hilarious in the movie. He really is. Uh, but then, you know, the Meryl Streeps, the Kate Blanchett's, the... Well, Tyler Perry's in there, and then he's obviously a comedian. Uh, Meryl Streep, Kate Blanchett, Jennifer Lawrence, uh, Mark Rylance, like, they just get to, you know, tear the stage apart uh, on this one, and it's fucking incredible. Um, like I said, a lot of, lot of funny gags in this one. Uh, it's a little shocking how accurate they got it. The whole thing's supposed to be, like, a metaphor... A metaphor for uh, uh, global warming and how people are reacting to that and like the the answer is like just look up and listen to the scientists and stuff like that uh, and like the answer is just so spittingly obvious it's coming right for us and people still won't accept it even though you can see it and then there's other people telling you to you know not look up and it's it's shockingly realistic <laughs> like what they're able to create here uh, but overall I'd say that uh, don't look up is uh, one of the better movies of the year, hence why I have it number nine. Uh, I expect it to get nominated uh, for a handful of things. Uh, I would like to see Mark Rylance uh, get, uh, you know, get on the board uh, for this one. I mean, who of the supporting actor field this year? I know it's not the strongest one we've ever had, uh, but Mark Rylance it was the first time I looked at him. I, I like saw a performance this year, and I was like, he he should win. Like he he was the best. Uh, I don't think he will. Um, you know, we'll get to some of that in some of my later picks here, but uh, yeah, I, th- I think he should he should get up there. I have a feeling Jennifer Lawrence might uh, as well. Uh, the screenplay 100% needs to uh, be up there for original screenplay, uh, it'll, and it'll be in Best Picture and maybe some of the. Eh. Oh, oh uh, there's a song, and they're from. Ariana Grande and Kid Cudi, which was pretty funny as well. Uh, so it'll get nominated for a few things. Whether or not it'll win remains to be seen, but uh, still, don't look up. It's on Netflix right now. Um, very, very funny movie. Absolutely would recommend it. Okay, 
moving on, number eight uh, this year. I had, uh, and this one was a little bit of a blast from the past from earlier in the year, uh, A Quiet Place Part 2, uh, which I thought was hasn't gotten nearly enough love as it deserves. Uh, and it was kind of in the early summer, like late spring, early summer of like like people are like still skeptical skeptical about going back to the movies and that sort of thing and like the theaters were just starting to reopen again and this was kind of like one of the first big movies to like be back i think prior to black widow i think this was the highest grossing movie of the year uh which i think that came out in like june i think so i think this came out in like may but uh, i mean for a sequel that i really didn't think was necessary uh, because A Quiet Place is just so good. Uh, the the first one was, uh, and, and seeing it in a theater was unreal. Just a, it was an incredible uh, horror movie that, it, like, I was I was a little bummed when I found out that they were making a sequel because I was like, ah, you know, like they you know they wrapped up the first story so well and it didn't really feel like they needed more. Uh, but you know, John Krasinski and uh, the rest of the and the rest of his cast did a really really cool job. Um, kind of building the world and now it's like okay like I saw like the sequel came out and I was like okay like now now I need a third one (laughs) Uh, you know so but it did a really good job of uh, capturing the essence of like what made the first one so good like just really solid editing uh, you know the idea that you have to stay quiet (laughs) Uh, so it's a very visual film Um, and and I mean the audio is, is, is important just because there's no sound going on like it is important, but that makes it like when audio is needed, it makes it more impactful. So like, and like technically speaking, like, uh, like the editing, the, the production value and the, just what they do, the sound uh, mixing and things like that. Uh, they got that exactly right from the first one. They captured exactly what made the first one so interesting. But from a story perspective, they dived a little deeper into uh, into the characters. They introduced some new ones, kind of built the world out a little bit. Uh, so it was a, it was not really it wasn't pandering. Like I, when I heard about uh, that there was going to be a sequel, I was like, okay, like this is clearly just like a cash grab, uh, you know, sort of thing. Uh, and you know, I saw the first trailer for it, and I wasn't. It, it, it was cool, but you know, it didn't look like it was going to blow me away or anything like that. Uh, but no, I saw it and I, it was really, really fucking good. Uh, <laughs> and I think more people need to be talking about uh, Quiet Place too uh, this year. And um, I'm surprised more people haven't. I know a lot of things have happened since it's come out, so it's you know probably been rightfully uh, pushed aside. But at the same time, it was like that. That's what this list is. It's like it's my favorite movies of the year. It's not just my, like my recency bias, like favorite movies of this time. Like I, that's why I do it. <laughs> as like a running list uh, so uh, but yeah no A Quiet Place uh, Part 2 uh, my number 8 movie of the year uh, John Krasinski's a, oh, I mean what he's done with this franchise is incredible really um, and I'm excited <laughs> I'm excited for a third one I don't know when or if it's coming out but uh, I will see it in theaters when it, when it does that's for sure uh, okay number 7 uh, the biggest movie of the year, Spider-Man No Way Home, uh, billion-dollar film, and I had a f- so I put this out on my personal uh, social media channels uh, at that guy Soul, uh, t- Twitter and Instagram, and you know I got you know I had someone reach out and was 
<laughs> a friend reached out and you know was giving me shit for uh, why this movie was so low uh, on the list and like as the more I've had time to think about like yeah like it was really really good and really really fun and it was it, it might have been the most fun I had in the theater this year just like the atmosphere of seeing Spider-Man and like all the other uh, stuff uh, that was going on in there I don't want to get into too many spoilers although most of you have probably seen it by this uh, by this point um it was like I liked it. I I really didn't like the the beginning of it. I felt like it kind of took a lot away from what like Peter's arc was in uh, Far From Home, the or Spider Man Two, whatever you want to call it. Um, and you know everything they did with uh, you know bringing back the old cast and you know mixing universes and stuff like that. Like that's all cool. And everything, and it was a lot of fun to watch. And you know, hilarious, you know, hijinks ensued. It was very funny uh, seeing. Well, I guess we're in a spoiler territory now, uh, so spoilers if you haven't seen Spider-Man. Um, you know, it's very cool to see Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield back in the movies, and then like watching the three of them, uh, them, the two of them, and uh, Tom Holland's character like all interact with one another. That was really cool to see. Uh, but at the end of the day, like, I didn't love. Like I didn't love the beginning half of the movie, um, you know, in hindsight, and like you know, I think well, it, like once like all the other stuff goes on, like that's the best part of the movie, which is you know, it's kind of the point. But at the same time, it's like how much of that was just like, oh, it's really cool to see Tobey Maguire back. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, you know, it, it, it's a lot of fanfare, uh, the, a lot of a lot of pandering in this one, and you know, I I didn't love. Uh, what you know, what they did with all the villains that they brought back, like yeah, it was cool that they were there, but I don't know, they never really felt like a huge threat, uh, if that makes sense. Uh, and then there was all the stuff with the multiverse going on, which I hope that they were, gonna, I hope that they were going to dive more into that. Uh, but I feel like this kind of just set up Doctor Strange uh, and the Multiverse of Madness, which I think is coming out in like May or something. So, uh, so it did a good job of like it, it served its fans well uh it was entertaining great action throughout uh you know fun characters uh, as well uh, funnier than you know i i had anticipated uh, i was like some of the scenes were really really funny <laughs> with uh, andrew garfield in particular um but yeah it just i don't know it was it was missing a little something uh i you know when I like when I watch the MCU, I'm in it more for like the story, like as a whole, like the whole like you, like the you part of the MCU, um, and like as a stand, like as an individual film, I thought this was great. But as a you know how it ties into the rest of the universe, I thought there was a, I don't know, it left a little bit to be desired, uh, if if we're being honest. And like I know like in the post credit scene they introduced Venom and stuff like that, but I haven't seen any of those movies yet, so that one didn't really uh resonate with me. So so we'll see. Um we'll see we'll see how like the this one all plays out. I, I did like where they left it off. I thought it I thought it had a strong ending, uh, you know, with uh Peter kind of taking the next step and wiping everyone uh, a way who like knew him, so he's essentially starting from scratch. He's still Spider-Man. People know Spider-Man exists. They just don't know who. who nobody in the world knows who Peter Parker is. So, uh, very very interesting uh, concept there. So, uh, but overall, I mean, at the at the end of the day, you know, the movies uh, like these are supposed to me- meant 
to be entertaining uh, for us in some way, shape, or form. And Spider-Man No Way From Home did that very, very well. <laughs> sure, it was it was an extremely fun movie. Uh, no, you know, not the best, not the best story, not the best MCU movie out there. Uh, I think it's being, I think it's a little overrated. Uh, not even my best MCU movie this year. Uh, so, you know, little tease there. Uh, but at the end of the day, it was fun. It was looking at all the, you know, all ten movies in my uh, in my top ten here. I, I will say that Spider Man was probably the most fun uh, I had at the movies this year. So, uh, Spider Man Noah Home, number seven. All right, moving on to number six, another movie that uh, I saw recently, and it's the first time we're talking about it on the show, uh, Licorice Pizza, uh, the new Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Uh, stars Alana Haim and, uh, was it Philip Cooper? No, not, no, uh, Cooper Hoffman. Uh, <laughs> uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's, uh, the late Philip Seymour Hoffman's son. Uh, it's also got uh, some really great supporting, uh, a really, really great supporting role from... Uh, uh, Bradley Cooper, uh, Sean Penn is in there for a little bit. Tom Waits, uh, and there was one woman in particular who I think went uncredited, but I just want to pull it up. And I know I tweeted it out sometimes, so you can go check it out at Quarantine My Pod. But I just want to pull this up before I say anything. Um, oh, come on, come on, come on, come on. Where is it? Where are you, you bitch? This is great podcast stuff, I know. Um, I think I might have missed something. Don't look up. All right, fuck it. We're moving on. Um, okay, so <laughs> I'm completely blanking on this on this actress's name, so I apologize. But the woman who plays one of the agents... Uh, she's only in one scene, but it's very funny. But anywho, uh, Licorice Pizza uh, from a Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, you know, where does it rank among his filmography? It's definitely in the better half of his. Uh, I don't think it holds up with There Will Be Blood or Boogie Nights, uh, but I'd probably, I mean, Damn and Magnolia is really good too, but like, I, yeah, so... I think this is his most like commercially appealing film, uh, probably since Boogie Nights. Um, you know, it's just a it's a good old fashioned coming of age uh, love story. You know, set in California, uh, like L.A. in the seventies. Uh, you know, fun characters throughout, quirky dialogue, very funny. Um, it was a lot funnier than I thought it was going to be. This is far and away the most lighthearted thing. Uh, I think Paul Thomas Anderson's ever done, and certainly the most lighthearted thing he's done uh, since Boogie Nights, uh, which you know has its really dark <laughs> scenes as well. But that darkness never really comes into play uh, in Licorice Pizza. It just kind of focuses on, you know, it's not like a groovy good times, you know, had by all. Like you know, there's a lot of real struggle with uh, young love, and ba- the story. Uh, Cooper Hoffman's character, he's 15, and he falls in love with this girl who's 10 years older than him. And, you know, he, but he's like this very suave, like smooth talking, just confident young guy. He's a, he's, he's a child actor. So he's, so he's, uh, gets all this money that he's able to do to, 
like fund these other schemes uh, that he's drawing up. And he's very convincing. He's get, he gets like his other actor friends in on it. He gets uh, him and this girl become uh, really close. Uh, sorry, young woman. And it's it's very episodic. Uh, you know, you go from one story to the other. It's like okay, like here's a scheme where he's selling waterbeds. Here's a scheme where he's trying to rip somebody off. Here's a scheme where he's trying to open a pinball palace. Here's a scheme where he's uh, you know, the, they're trying to screw this guy. Uh, it just, it's very funny, uh, throughout. And it's very, it's just, it was just like a nice kind of like change of pace. Cause I feel like, like this was not a great year for comedy. Uh, not at all by any stretch of the imagination. Um, we've talked about it a lot, you know, comedy, comedic films are not, First off, they're not coming out at the same rate that they used to, uh, and if they are, it's more through the independent uh, circuit. So studio comedies aren't really as much of a thing anymore. So when you get a big name like Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, and you know you have someone like Bradley Cooper who's very very funny <laughs> uh, in this movie, but there's a, there's a lot of other great situational comedies throughout. Uh, you know, comedy throughout uh, the film. I think it's uh, just. It's it was nice. It was really nice to see. Like, I, I think, generally speaking, like I tend to lean more toward like if you look at a lot of the other movies we've done, uh, like we've reviewed on here, like you know I like I'm, I've never shut uh, shied away from like violence or I've never shied away from dark subject matters or I've never really shied away from, uh, you know just complex characters and like it, like things like that and I'm not I'm not saying that like I'm not like I don't love a good feel good movie every now and then because I do uh, you know <laughs> who doesn't they make you feel good that's why they're called feel good movies uh, but it's just not really my favorite thing I, I don't know it's it's hard to describe but there's a lot of like movies this uh, this year where I was just like okay like I, I would call this one like a crowd pleaser um it, like in some way, shape, or form. So it was. I don't know. Th- this was just very reassuring, and it was a movie that was very like hyped up leading into it. Uh, you know, obviously, you know the when you have Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, you know, coming out of the movie, that's a lot of weight. You know, he's a very highly regarded writer director, and you know, he was kind of keeping this project in secret. So like we were coming into like September, October and like no one had even like heard what this thing's about. Like we knew Bradley Cooper's in it, but like just there was so much secrecy about like, what is this movie even supposed to be about? And then people didn't, didn't even know what it was called, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and like they, they didn't even announce that. Uh, (laughs) and then like the trailer comes out and you know, it, it looks incredible. Of course, like it's a beautifully shot film. Uh, and like, I was intrigued, you know, like you have a couple of amateur actors and Cooper Hoffman and Alana Haim, who's in the band Haim Haim. I'm not 100 percent sure how to pronounce it. Uh, I've seen them on SNL before, but I can't really pick out any of their songs. Um, but, but for a first time performer for performance from both of the main characters, I mean, incredible, just absolutely fucking incredible uh, what they were able to accomplish here. So Alana Haim, I think she's going to be. Uh, pretty heavily considered in the awards conversation, uh, you know, later on in the year. But uh, overall, yeah, Licorice Pizza was 
really, really fucking good. Uh, I would 100% recommend it. Go see it in theaters. Uh, now it should still be playing. Uh, I think it came out on Christmas Day, so it'll probably be there for another couple of weeks. Um, but, I mean, it's critics love it. Audiences are liking it. Uh, you know, I haven't read one bad review about this thing. Uh, it's it, it's a little long. Uh, it you know dips a little bit in the middle there, but overall, I'd say it's you know, a hundred percent one of the better movies to come out this year. Uh, and one of Paul, you know, if you're a fan of Paul Thomas Anderson, which I understand not everyone is, uh, it's some of his finest work in my opinion. Okay, moving on. Let's get into the top five. So to recap so far, Tick, Tick, Boom at 10. Don't Look Up at 9. A Quiet Place 2 at 8. Spider-Man No Way From Home at 7. And Licorice Pizza at 6, which brings us to the top five. And at number five, I have uh, my highest rated MCU movie of the year, Black Widow. So this one, I I need to watch Black Widow again because... Like I loved it when I first saw it, and I think what made it so cool is that it set up like knowing that Scarlett Johansson's character lives. Like the stakes are like you, you feel like the stakes are pretty low uh, in the movie, but at the same time, it did such a great job of introducing new characters. Yelena Belova's, uh, you know, played by Florence Pugh, is going to be one of the great characters in the MCU moving forward. Uh, for the foreseeable future. David Harbour's Red Guardian as uh, fucking hysterical <laughs> on this movie. I love that, you know, put David Harbour in anything and I'll watch it. I think that dude's absolutely incredible. Uh, Rachel Weisz, also, uh, you know, a, a really cool role from her. And I feel like I, I honestly don't know her filmography that well. I can't think of many movies she's in off the top of my head. I Like, I know she's... I uh, got an Oscar and uh, all that jazz, but I just I, I can't really think of anything off the top of my head that's just like damn, like that's a great Rachel Vise movie. But this was, well, th- this could be that movie for me now. <laughs> um, and in in addition to that, I think uh, you know we it was the first time we saw uh, Valentina in a movie. I know we met her in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I think we did. It was Falcon. Yeah, it was Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, Ray Winstone is in this. Uh, he was a uh, you know not not the best villain they've ever had, but good, good enough. Uh, Ot Fangbinley. Uh, Fe- uh, I'm not 100 percent sure how to say that, uh, but you've you might recognize him from uh, The Handmaid's Tale. I think uh, they introduced him, and he's going to be a, an interesting character to see moving forward in the MCU. He's kind of like the gadgets guy <laughs> for Black Widow. Uh, and then Olga Kur- uh, Kurilenko, she's all uh, you know. She also makes an appearance, and I think she's gonna have uh, a role to play going forward. So a lot of stuff got set up that was really really cool. The action sequences were great uh, throughout. I think the biggest challenge with this one was like, okay, like what are the stakes? Because like we know Scarlett Johansson's not coming back, uh, and like we know she li- because of when the movie takes place in the franchise, we know she's gonna live through the events of the film. So, uh, and, and they mastered it. Uh, I think they really did. Like they focus like, okay, like we're not expanding outwards. Like we're diving inwards, uh, into Natasha, you know, we're not trying like, it, it's a little skit. Like it, watching this stuff, like it kind of makes you wonder, like, I, like I want to go back and watch some of the, like the older stuff with Black Widow and just be like, okay, like were, were there hints of that here and there? Uh, and then if you watched uh, Hawkeye, uh, Disney Plus series, which just wrapped up, which I 
I like the ending of it. Um, middle of the pack show. I think uh, I, I still think Scarlet Witch is the best uh, MCU show that's come out uh, to date. But a lot of the events of this movie are tied into Hawkeye the series. Um, and it, it, it just, I think it just really did a great job of like setting up some of the phases moving forward. Like Yelena, it, it's yes, like this is obviously like a farewell to Black Widow, but it's also an introduction to Yelena, who's awesome. <laughs> like Florence Pugh is so fucking funny uh, in this movie, and she's also, you know she also kicks a lot of ass, and it's a fun character. Uh, you know, I, I'm really excited to see her uh, what what they're going to do with her moving forward. You know, whether that's uh, you know, join some some version of the Avengers or some, you know, spin-off thing, or maybe she gets her own feature thing or a TV show or something. I don't know, but I we know she's going to be heavily involved uh, in in the series moving forward at some point. So, uh, yeah, no, I I thought this was just a really really cool uh, entry into what was you know it, it's the biggest franchise in the world right now. We've talked about the MCU extensively on here before, uh, and it just did so many things. Uh, that you know touched the other parts of the franchise, but it also uh, was an appropriate send off to Scarlett Johansson, uh, you know, in this role and something she's never really. It's the movie's long overdue, um, that's for sure, and it was only you know only delaying it more and more by COVID. That was uh, just it, it was it sucks, but you know <laughs> it's what it's what it was. Uh, but really, really glad that uh, we finally got to see this. Didn't di- did not disappoint uh, whatsoever. Uh, I just I love this movie, man. I, I got to watch it again. Uh, I don't. It might be on Disney Plus by now. I'm not 100 percent sure. Uh, all right, moving on. Number four. Uh, I'm gonna go with Belfast. Uh, probably the best picture front runner, uh, in my opinion, right now. Um, from Kenneth Branagh, it uh, includes. Um, Catriona Balfe, Jamie Dornan, Kieran Hines, Julie Andrews, uh, just, uh, you know, a really, really great feel-good movie. Uh, so basically, if uh, if you haven't seen it yet, uh, it might still be playing in theater somewhere uh, at some point, but I think as, like, the award season goes on, like, you, it, it'll continue to just stick around a little bit. Uh, a lot of great word of mouth, though. Everyone I've talked to that's seen this really, really seem to like it. Um but basically, it's a semi-autobiographical film from Kenneth Branagh, who grew up in uh, Belfast during uh, the 60s, which was uh, you know a time of great political and social turmoil in Northern Ireland. Uh, so, but it's not really about you know the conflict. Like the conflict is going on, and you see you know there's you know people are different take, taking different sides there's the catholics and the protestants and there's uh you know looting and rioting and uh you know gang warfare and all that stuff uh but that's not really the focal point of the movie it's more so about uh this family trying to keep it all together during all this and how they go about doing that so it's there's very like innocent like like the uh, the main character in the story is this little boy who's who, who's in almost every scene, and you know it's about him like going to school and trying to get this girl to talk to him, but uh, you know he doesn't know how to talk to her, and then like his grandpa's giving him, oh, played by Kieran Hines, who is probably the best supporting actor front runner at this point, uh, to you know like he's comes up come coming up with schemes to help his grandson and stuff like that, and none of them work out. So uh, it's a very funny movie. It's um. You know, it's it's very charming. Uh, Jamie Dornan's never been better. 
Uh, and I, I think I compared when I talked about it a few weeks ago on the show, I compared his career to um, a guy like Robert Pattinson, uh, like Jamie Dornan is, you know, he's forever going to be associated with at least, you know, for the foreseeable future, he's still going to be associated with the 50 shades of gray franchise. Like that was his big break to American audiences. Uh, but he's done a bunch of other things since, um, uh, what was it? I know he's in Barb and Stargirl to Vista Del Mar. Very, very funny movie. Uh, obviously, he's in this. He's getting awards recognition for it. He might. I don't think he will, but I think he might uh, be able to slide into an Oscar nomination for this. He's uh, been doing well in the circuit so far, though. But Mark Rylance, man, <laughs> he, he hasn't really done anything yet, but his role in Don't Look Up is just so fucking good. Um, what is the show? Like Gillian Anderson's in it. Uh, Jamie Dornan was also in, and now we do that thing on the show where I just look up IMDb and I expect you to wait for me. Jamie Dornan was in a show, at The Fall, uh, it was a true crime show from the BBC, uh, where he plays a serial killer. It's He's really, really, really fucking good uh, in, in that show. But yeah, so, so, uh, so you know, so I, I compare him to Robert Pattinson because, um, you know, Robert Pattinson obviously was tied to Twilight for so long, but then he had to go out and take uh, a couple, you know, unique roles and really kind of separate himself from that. Uh, you know, he's, I know he's playing Batman next year, but he's kind of shied away from, uh, you know, these big kind of flashy roles. Like he's done a lot of independent stuff. Uh, Good Time uh, comes to mind. Uh, the Lighthouse, uh, but you know he still mixes in the occasional blockbuster, something like Dunkirk, where you know you're working with Chris, Christopher Nolan, who's going to turn that down. So, uh, but no, I'm I'm really excited to see what Jamie, uh, more Jamie Dorn, uh, Jamie Dornan moving forward. Uh, Katrina Balf, I also think she's just wonderful uh, in this movie. Uh, I think she's being billed as a Best Actress nominee, um, which I would probably peg her as more of a supporting actress in this one, but. You know, what do I know? Um, but no, I, she's just so damn good. Uh, and she plays the mother who's, uh, you know, uh, tough love, but at the same time, you re, like you feel the tough, but you also feel the love. And she's got this one uh, kind of little monologue in there that uh, just just breaks your heart. Uh, so she, she's really incredible. And her and Jamie Dorn have this amazing chemistry together. Uh, I'll get in later on in the show. I'll talk about one scene in particular uh, that <laughs> that I, that I thought was awesome, uh, and then Kieran Hines also. Uh, Kieran Hines and Julie Andrews are are both incredible in this movie. Uh, Kieran Hines is uh, kind of the front runner for best supporting actor right now, but I don't really. Th- he's the front runner, but he's not. It's not. This isn't a year where it's like there's like a Javier Bardem or a J.K. Simmons or. A, you know Heath Ledger or something like that. Like I don't really think there's that one big like, oh it's gonna be him. Like I, I think we're gonna see, like one guy could win the Critics Choice Awards, one guy could win the SAG Award. I mean the SAG Award is usually a good indicator of who's gonna win, but uh, you know someone could win a Golden Globe or something. So I th- I'm curious. I'm I'm curious uh, to see whoever wins the SAG Award. That's gonna be the front runner uh, in my opinion. But uh, but we'll see. But Kieran Hines is I mean. It's it's all deserved praise. He's very very good in this movie. Uh, he's a you know character actor. He's been around for a long time. You probably recognize him from uh, Game of Thrones. Uh, he's one of the uh, the wildling leaders uh, north of the wall. Uh, so uh, keep an eye out for uh, Belfast, uh, my number four movie of the year, uh, which takes me into number three, uh, and we're talking about the Last Duel. So 
Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, uh, back at it. They they're teaming up to you know do a little writing. Uh, they're both in the movie alongside Adam Driver and Jodie Comer uh, from and Ridley Scott is directing. This was one of the uh, it was a really really cool concept for a movie. So basically, it takes place in like 13th century France or something like that, uh, and it's a trial told from three different perspectives. There's uh, so you have Matt Damon's character, and the the names are all French. I'm just going to completely butcher them, so I'm just going to call them by the actors. Uh, Matt Damon's character is married to Jodie Comer's character, and Adam Driver's character is Matt Damon's old squire or something like that. Uh, but he has since moved on and kind of worked his way up uh, the you know the political ladder, if you will, uh, and is kind of the right hand man for uh, Ben Affleck, who's like the count of whatever area in France that they live, uh, and. Uh, Basically, uh, Jodie Comer's character accuses Adam Driver of raping her, and you know we we see the uh, the fallout of like you know what's the trial process like back then, and so we see Matt Damon's point of view, uh, we see Adam Driver's point of view, and then we see Jodie Comer's point of view. So we see three sides of the story. So it's kind of cool to go around and see like okay, like you know, like Matt Damon's character sees himself as the hero in the story. Uh, Adam Driver views him as like the idiot <laughs> in the story, and then uh, you know Jodie Comer's uh, point of view, which is the truth, um, you know, is more more on the idiot savage side. Uh, but <laughs> uh, but yeah, just a, I mean, it's incredibly well acted. The production value here is off the charts. Uh, I know the movie flopped, uh, and Ridley Scott did not take that particularly well uh, I believe he had a, a bit of a rant at some point about like he blamed like cell phones for why the movie didn't do well like kids are looking at their phone these days and they don't want to learn anything it's just like well I mean this isn't a very commercially appealing movie like once you really know what it's about uh, like it's billed as the last duel because the whole thing leads up to a duel between Matt Damon and Adam Driver's characters and the duel scene is fucking awesome like some of the best like sword, <laughs> like sword and shield combat, uh, I think I've ever seen on film. Uh, and it's yeah, it's fucking brutal too. Uh, but damn, it's it's really really fucking good. And that like if you look at the uh, like all the trailers and the preview and stuff like that, it's really focuses on like the duel. Uh, but the movie itself is more so about uh, the trial and like it looks at systemic mis- uh, misogynism and. Uh, just like the weird practices and beliefs that people just had during this time and how uh, like li- like little say people like Jodie Comer's character would have had uh, during this time for such a serious crime. Uh, but it's incredibly well acted uh, throughout the four that I mentioned, uh, you know, all bring their A game. It's probably the best I've seen Matt Damon be in years. Uh, Adam Driver had a hell of a year. He's a hell of an actor. Uh, and he, you know, no exception here. He's incredible in this movie. Uh, ben Affleck, I, I, I'm rooting for him to start getting some awards love for this one. Uh, he's never been recognized as an actor before. It's always, uh, you know, for writer, director, uh, or producer. Uh, and it's one of the best performances I think he's ever given. Uh, I think he got a Golden Globe nominee for The Tender Bar, which comes out in a couple of weeks on Amazon. Uh, but I would like to see him get nominated for this. I, I, I really think he's that good in this one. And Jodie Comer, who just blew me away in this movie. I've never, I don't think I've ever really seen her in anything before. Um, at least if I do, I'm, I don't recall, but, um, 
she was so incredible in this movie. She really was just uh, in all three phases of the story, she's great. And then, you know, her story is uh, kind of the, the, the third and final act of the movie. Uh, and she just steals every scene she's in. And she hasn't, it's a bummer. She hasn't really popped up in any of the awards uh, yet. And I, I think she totally deserves to be. I think there's probably just a little confusion as like, is she a lead actress? Is she a supporting actor? So, uh, and, but then people like have this weird taste in their mouth about like the movie because like really of all the things Ridley Scott said, uh, and I, I, it's not, it's not going to get any of the love that I think that it really deserved. It really was one of the, uh, the greater movies I think I saw this year. Uh, very well written, very well produced, well acted. Just, uh, I mean, it was a little long, uh, and, sl- and slow at points, but overall, I mean, this was, this movie was fucking sweet. I wouldn't give it five hazmats, but it was fucking sweet. Uh, so yeah, so go check it out. Uh, the Last Duel. I think it's going to start streaming on HBO soon, actually. So hopefully that like now that like once it goes on HBO, it starts actually like picking up a little bit of tread. Um, I just this movie needs more eyeballs on it. It didn't perform well in theaters, and I get it. You know, it's a two and a half hour movie, <laughs> uh, but. It, it's still a pretty damn great movie, if you ask me. Okay, moving on to my runner-up, uh, number two best movie of the year, uh, and I've talked about this extensively uh, on multiple episodes, I think, at this point. Uh, Dune, uh, my number two movie of the year. Uh, I mean, what is there to say that hasn't really been said? This I, I said before there were two movies that I considered like amazing uh, this year, and that would be Dune uh, and the eventual winner. Uh, but I mean, Denny Villeneuve just knocked this one out of the fucking park for this one, for a movie being as highly anticipated as it was with, you know, the quality of the director and the quality of the cast, um, and the, you know, the IP associated with Dune and everything that, uh, associated with that, like, like expectations for this movie were through the fucking roof and he blew the doors off the thing. Um, and like, I had never seen, uh, Dune. Uh, the original uh, David Lynch version. I uh, never read the book, so I kind of went like I had like the the basic outline of what the story was, uh, but you know I never actually consumed it in any way. And like it, as soon as it was over, the biggest <laughs> uh, I think I made the joke uh, when I referred to uh, like when I, I first talked about this a few weeks ago. Uh, the biggest problem with this movie is that it ends. <laughs> uh, it, it ends on a place that is very much like perfect for to set up a sequel, but uh, it's almost like too perfect. And I'm just like, damn, like I want, like I, w- I want to see more, like right now. Uh, so it didn't. If so, uh, this is Dune Part One. Dune Part Two is coming out in 2023, uh, which got greenlighted after the success from this movie, and. It, like uh, just give it to me put it into my veins i'm uh, i'm all for dune <laughs> right now i can't i can't wait for the sequel uh yeah no i just every every little thing about this one from the production value to the visual effects uh the everyone in the cast was great as well the world building that they were able to do i'm just it's just nerdgasm all over the place like i need <laughs> i need some more dune uh, in my life, but yeah, De- De- I mean, Denny Villeneuve. I think with this, it kind of cements him as like he is the best director in Hollywood right now, at least over the last ten years. Uh, and I, I don't even know who's a close second uh, at this point. I mean, he's he hasn't missed uh, between Prisoners, Enemy, uh, Arrival, 
Blade 2049, uh, Sicario, this. I mean, <laughs> if you come up to me on like any given day and I'll give you five, you know, come up to me every day of the week and I'll give you seven different answers as to what his top ten <laughs> movies are. But, uh, I mean, he's one of my favorite directors. Prisoners is one of my all-time favorite movies. Uh, what he's been able to do with this and Blade Runner and like kind of taking these like sci- these like 80s sci-fi properties that haven't maybe like haven't just translated well over the years um like Blade Runner like I know like people regard it as like one of the the all-time classics and it's like one of the most influential movies of all time but like I feel like people in my generation were never really got exposed to Blade Runner uh like I didn't like we were always Star Wars kids uh but and you know when I was growing up the Star Wars uh uh, prequels were, were all coming out, uh, but yeah, just no no one was ever really just like you got to see Blade Runner. You got like I didn't see it until maybe three years ago at this point. Like I was really late to the party. I only watched it because of the sequel that was coming out. So uh, Villeneuve's completely just just murdering <laughs> these uh, like these eighty sci fi reboots. I wonder what he's going to do next uh, after Dune. But uh, just keep giving us Dune for now. I think I mean it's a uh, like I said, the biggest flaw in the movie is that it ends. Uh, but everyone in the, everyone in the cast is awesome, uh, and I'm I can't wait to see what they do with the sequel. Uh, all right, and now we get to the grand finale, my favorite movie of the year, which I think I've been very vocal about on here so far, uh, is Coda uh, on Apple Plus. Uh, well, I mean, what is there to say that I haven't said yet? It's well, for starters, it's the best movie of the year. <laughs> uh, it's from uh, director uh, Sean Heater. S I A N. I'm not 100% sure how to say that. Sion? Uh, Sean? Maybe? Who knows? Uh, but uh, it stars Amelia James, uh, Marley Matlin, uh, Troy Kotzer, and just, I mean, th- three incredible performances from then. But then there's also. Uh, God, who is he? I'm looking for his name in the title here. Uh, Eugenio uh, Eugenio Derbez gives a fucking awesome supporting role as well. Uh, Daniel Durant also in the, uh, in there, which you know, shout out to him as well. But uh, the real story of this movie to me was Troy Kotzer. Just absolutely blew me away. Uh, he's a so uh, he's a deaf actor. Uh, and uh, for those of you who don't know the movie, maybe it is a little smaller, so I'll, I'll actually do a quick uh, little recap if you're not caught up. Uh, so it's on Apple Plus, and it is about uh, a girl named Ruby who is uh, a coda, which is a child of deaf adult. Uh, her parent, both of her parents are deaf, and her brother is deaf, uh, and, but she's hearing, and she lives in Gloucester, Massachusetts. They work on, they all work on a fishing boat together and she essentially she's the youngest one in her family and she essentially has to translate uh for everyone to you know for the family to function uh properly so you know she has to grow up really fast like you know she's doing business deals with her dad she's uh constant like just anyone she has to talk to everybody uh like in the town for her family because nobody understands them uh, and but uh, she finds out, uh, you know, during her senior year of high school that uh, that she's this incredibly talented singer. Uh, so 
you know, eventually she starts working with this teacher who's played by uh, Drew Bez, and you know, he's like, "Well, hey, like you have a gift, like you, we need to train you." So she, uh, you know, she gets this audition at Berkeley uh, School of Music, and it's this whole thing of like, "Hey, like you can't leave the family, like we're relying on you, like what are we supposed to do?" But she's like, "No, it's like I'm my own person," and like she does this thing that her family can't enjoy. Like the the one thing she wants to do is sing, and her family can't do it, and their family needs her. So, it's it's a it's a feel good movie. Uh, at the end of the day, it's a bit of a tearjerker as well. You know, I I, I had a few uh, at the end of the day, but uh, it's very very funny uh, as well. Uh, the acting throughout the whole thing is incredible. Uh, Troy Kotzer in particular, I think. You know, I said Karen Hines is the favorite, but Troy Kotzer was the best. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, just some of, some of what he was able to do with this role. And, like, are we, like, we started to see, like, a little bit of the... And, like, you know, it's not like, you know... Uh, like, deaf people and being represented in film is... Uh, it, it's it's growing. Uh, if, like, look at something like Sound of Metal last year. That was a huge, uh, huge win uh, for that community. And it was, I mean, it was an incredible movie too. And Paul Racy, who's, uh, who is a CODA himself, uh, ended up getting nominated for an Oscar for that movie, uh, for some of his work. But, uh, like seeing, uh, a movie like this, this year, it's like, okay, like, the, like, these are awesome. Like, these are stories that need to be told. Cause like, uh, some of the funniest scenes in the, in the movie are in sign language. Uh, and you know, it's all translated for you. So, you know, you're able to pick up what they're saying, but just like, even looking at, like with Troy Kotzer in particular, like he has so many good bits uh, in the movie, and like you're able to, it, like it's all accented just for, like from the way he's doing it. Like it's way more than just reading, uh, the, you know, the the subtitles there. So, I mean, you'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll. It, there's some good drama in there as well, uh, and what's cool about this movie is like it's just a. It, it speaks to the power of strong writing and strong acting. And at the end of the day, like that's what can carry your movie. Like, uh, it's the, it's the complete opposite of Dune. Uh, you know, Dune is this huge visual spectacle, you know, filled with multiple A-list actors, and you know, a nine-figure budget, and you know, this big IP, uh, you know, like property that you know it's Dune. You know, <laughs> like people are gonna go see it. This giant marketing budget associated with it. Uh, but then there's this like little film, uh, Coda. Which was, you know, like it was a, I think it won the Audience Award at uh, Sundance uh, Film Festival earlier this year. Apple picks it up, uh, pays a, re- I think they paid like a record amount for, uh, for the rights to it uh, from the festival, and they put it out on streaming. It took me, like, I didn't even hear about this movie until like three months after it came out on streaming. And now that I've seen it, I was just like, I, like, I instantly went, uh, like saw this movie and it's just like I, I I was just I was telling everyone who would listen like Coda's the best movie this year like nothing's nothing's gonna touch it uh, so I'm rooting for it I'm really glad that it's starting to get uh, it's done well in the award circuit so far just as far as the nominations going you know we haven't really seen any of the winners come in yet but I mean I, I was worried that it was gonna get overlooked but it, that doesn't seem to be the case uh, so far so uh, I'm hoping that it's able to you know stick around uh you know uh, the writing's going to get nominated Troy Kotcher's going to get nominated the movie itself is going to get nominated um uh, and that's really it like it's probably it like it's not going to get nominated for like the editing or the cinematography or the you know the sound mixing or any like any of that stuff like it's just writing and acting 
that's what the movie's based on. Uh, and I think it, it, I don't know if it will, but I think it could. It, it has it has a puncher's chance at uh, at best picture right now, so I'm really excited for uh, for Coda. But, uh, but yeah, anywho, recapping my ten favorite movies of the year, uh, we got at number ten, Tick Tick Boom. Nine, Don't Look Up. Eight, A Quiet Place. Two, Seven, Spider Man No Way Home. Six, Licorice Pizza. Five, Black Widow. Four, Belfast. Three, The Last Duel. Two, Dune. And one, Coda. All right, now. Uh, all right, so we're running a little long today, so I'm not going to get into rapid-fire reviews, but I do have a couple of awards that I want to hand out regardless. Uh, so, uh, all right, yeah, I got like six of these. So uh, first award I want to give out, uh, and this is just these are all for films in 2021. Uh, the actor of the year, not the best actor, like a, you know, a performance, but who, what actor had the best year. Uh, I want to give this award to Idris Elba, uh, who was in The Suicide Squad. Uh, he was in The Harder They Fall uh, and Concrete Cowboy, which landed just outside my top ten. But uh, Concrete Cowboy was one of those like ne- early Netflix-only releases from earlier this year, and it really resonated with me for some reason. It was a really, really cool movie. I highly recommend you check it out. Uh, it's also got Caleb McLaughlin from Stranger Things uh, in there in a role that uh, you know was very, very different <laughs> from what we saw in Stranger Things. But Idris Elba was great. Uh, in all three of those movies that I just mentioned, uh, Harder They Fall as a whole is a little disappointing, uh, but uh, it, it wasn't his fault <laughs> by any means. So, uh, Idris Elba, really, really great year for him. Uh, also, other actors who had a great year uh, Bradley Cooper, uh, between Nightmare Alley and Licorice Pizza, Andrew Garfield with Tick Tick Boom, uh, and Spider Man No Way Home, um, Dave Batista. Uh, was also up there. Uh, there's another one. Someone was really, really good. Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, to an extent. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm giving it to Idris Elba as the best actor this year. Uh, and my actress of the year, uh, Zendaya. Uh, I had her in, she's in Spider-Man No Way Home. She was also in, uh, Space Jam, <laughs> which doesn't sound like much. Uh, and then, oh, she was in another movie with, uh, John David Washington, uh, earlier this year that got really great reviews. I didn't personally see it, but I heard great things about it. Uh, Malcolm and Marie, uh, and then there's a new season of Euphoria coming out as well. And of course she's in Dune. Uh, so just a really, really great year for her, both, both in film and TV. Uh, I like Zendaya. I haven't seen too, too much of her, uh, work outside of the MCU, but, uh, she's obviously extremely talented and I think she's gonna just continue to grow she's young too she's 96 so that means she's like 24 25 something like that so uh yeah definitely one of the great uh actors under 30 uh right now so keep an eye out for zendaya moving forward um i say that like i just like i discovered her but no she's one of the biggest stars in the world (laughs) uh my performance of the year uh you know, shouldn't surprise anyone. Troy Kotzer uh, from Coda. Uh, you know, I just I know I just hyped him up a little bit, but um, also in this one, uh, I was thinking about putting down Jodie Comer uh, in The Last Duel, maybe Mark Rylance uh, in Don't Look Up. Um, yeah, it was Katrina and Balf and and Belfast. Also, uh, I mean, Will Smith is probably going to end up winning Best Actor, but I don't. Like, again, this wasn't like, 
lead actor, supporting actor. This was just who who had the overall best performance, and that's Troy Kotzer to me. So I'm uh, still rooting for Coda moving forward. Uh, all right. Uh, next up, uh, different award. Uh, Achievement in Suckery. What film won the Achievement in Suckery? This isn't necessarily the worst movie of the year uh, that I saw, but it's the most disappointing. And I think that one is hands down, like no competition, The Green Knight. Uh, the Green Knight is my winner for achievement in suckery this year. Just I, I had really, really high hopes for this movie. The trailer looked absolutely incredible. Uh, you know, really, really cool cast: Dev Patel, uh, Ralph Ineson, um, Joel Edgerton, uh, so uh, Alicia Vikander. Uh, so I was really hyped for this movie. Riley Keegan, um, and it just sucked, man. This movie was as boring a movie as I, I saw all year. And it was it, like I thought it was going to be this like really great, incredible like fantasy like adventure story, and it kind of is that, but it's also like very like existential and like oh my god, it was just it was just so dumb. It was it was so goddamn boring. I, I honestly almost fell asleep during like during the movie, and I never do that. I can't stand people who do, and I almost fell asleep during this fucking movie. Uh, so anyway, uh, the Green Knight wins our achievement in suckery award. Uh, on the opposite side of the spectrum, uh, achievement in not sucking. Uh, this is for a movie that, again, not necessarily the best movie of the year, but the movie with really high expectations that lived up to the hype. Uh, and there were a lot of these this year. I think while I, you know, while I said there was nothing that real, there was only a handful of things that really like blew me away. Uh, there was a lot of good movies and a lot of from a lot of great directors that uh, lived up to their hype, like Licorice Pizza with Paul Thomas Anderson. That had a lot of hype to it. The Last Duel had a lot of hype to it. I think that lived up, uh, you know, to what that was supposed to be. Uh, like, Eternals, uh, Black Widow, I th- like, all these big things, like, lived up to their hype, in my opinion. Suicide Squad uh, as well. Uh, but I'm going to give it a Dune. <laughs> and I know I just kind of went all in on Dune, but uh, I think just the expectations for that thing were th- just completely through the roof. Uh, and it knocked it out of the park in every every sense of the word. Uh, all right, my hidden gem of the year, kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum here. Uh, well, I know I just hyped it up, but Coda, uh, Coda is it's it's on Apple Apple Plus. Uh, I don't it, it released in like August, so it's out of theaters at this point. Uh, but it's on Apple Plus. You can go check it out. I, I can't say enough good things about this movie. It's really that amazing. Uh, and I, everyone who I've told about it to is like, hey, like you got to check this one out. Like They've come back and be like, yeah, that movie was fucking sweet. <laughs> so uh, go check out Coda. Uh, and my last award for the year, uh, the scene of the year uh, in particular, uh, I'm going to go with the Everlasting Love uh, number uh, from Belfast. Basically, there's a... Uh, there's a funeral in the movie, and during the funeral, the, it turns into this like fun kind of party atmosphere. And Jamie Dornan, uh, who's been having some tr- uh, trouble with uh, Jamie Dornan's character, has been tr- having trouble with his wife, played by Katrina Balf. Uh, and at his at this funeral, he gets up with the with a band and sings uh, "Everlasting Love" to her. And it's you know it's fun. They're dancing and. It's just kind of like this, like heartwarming, like feel good kind of thing, and like I've had the song stuck in my head for two months <laughs> since I'm seeing it. So uh, that was my that was my favorite scene of the year. Just a nice 
you know, music, not musical number, but like just a nice, like, okay, like that, that was, that was a really beautiful scene. Uh, you know, seeing just two people in love dancing in a dark situation, uh, and, you know, having, uh, you know, the kids see this and, you know, what that must've meant, you know, as part of his upbringing. And that was, I, I just thought it was a really cool scene. Belfast is a great movie. So go check that out if you can. Okay, that is going to do it, folks. That was the best of 2021. Uh, 2022, uh, hopefully we'll, you know, get out of this shit sometime soon. But, uh, but yeah, no, uh, we have a lot to talk about in the uh, in the coming weeks here. Award season is kicking off. I think Oscar nominations come out in a few weeks. So uh, I'll be sure to be uh, do a episode about my predictions at some point. Uh, and then we'll also get into uh, some... Uh, we'll, we'll do it. We're, we're going to have to do a uh, review dump at some point as well. I know I talked about like, don't look up and uh, licorice pizza and a couple other things today that I haven't talked about before, but uh, I watched a lot of movies this week. So <laughs> we have stuff to talk about. Uh, all right. That is going to do it. So in the meantime, you can go give us a follow on social media. We're at quarantine pod on Facebook and Twitter especially Twitter now and the Instagram as well at quarantine pod. Uh, you can also subscribe to the show on iTunes and Spotify, Apple podcasts, really wherever you find your podcast, you can find us there. So, uh, that is going to do it and don't be a hero. Stay inside and watch a movie. <laughs>